Lord, I pray um, that you would remind us that you're with us. I thank you for your word. And I just pray above all uh, that you would speak tonight. Amen. Have you ever felt uh, completely stuck in a set of circumstances or stuck in a story that you didn't want to be in? Uh, A plot line that surprised you in the worst way possible and only seemed to get worse. As we continue through Exodus tonight, I'd really like to consider the Israelites' experience in circumstances that I imagine just would have felt entirely hopeless. Um, In terms of culture and time, we're really removed from their experience. Um, But I think in terms of what it feels like to be in a hopeless place, uh, most of us, if not all of us, know what it's like to feel stuck in a story that we didn't sign up for. And whether we know it, maybe by like a knot in our gut or a well of tears behind our eyes, this human vulnerability um, isn't that far removed from us. And as we've been in Exodus the last two weeks, we've seen the Israelites are in Egypt. They're enslaved there. Uh, The very beginning of the book shows us that they had been fruitful and multiplied. They were swarming. All of this is echoing the beginning of Genesis. Uh, And all of God's promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are directly confronted uh, as his family is not free and uh, the family line is being threatened. And for many of us, we know this story pretty well, um, or maybe we've seen the movie The Prince of Egypt, and so we know what happens next. It doesn't feel like a big surprise. Uh, We know that Moses and Aaron are going to go before Pharaoh. They're going to ask him to release the Israelites, and one by one, things like frogs and locusts are going to swarm the land. And I think because of how well known the story is, it's easy to miss the depth of pain and grief that this family was living in. So we're gonna pause there for a few minutes before we dive in. Um, I really don't wanna miss that this is a family that had promises made to them that currently would seem impossible. Uh, It's a family that's living under the affliction of slavery, um, a family that is groaning and crying out. The depth of that kind of darkness or hopelessness, I mean, would just be devastating for anyone to experience. Um, And I don't know that we can fully comprehend what that would have been like. Uh, I'm imagining, though, if if I try to put myself in their shoes, I would be thinking, is there any hope for this to be redeemed or restored, or is it just all unraveling beyond repair? And it's against this hopeless backdrop that Moses and Aaron go before Pharaoh. Um, And in the text tonight, we're going to start here in Exodus 7, verse 1. So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to speak everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh that he must release the Israelites from his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart And although I will multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. I will reach into Egypt and bring out my regiments, the people of the Israelites, from the land of Egypt with great acts of judgment. 
Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I extend my hand over Egypt and bring the Israelites out from among them. If we pause and look at how these verses are written, we notice they paint a really clear viewpoint. Uh, They're showing that God is instructing Moses ahead of time, telling him what's going to happen in the future. We get this picture of God's perspective being over and above what will happen and also involved in the details. And we get to see this from outside of the story, almost like a spectator. Uh, From our removed viewpoint, we know this isn't actually the first time that Moses and Aaron went before Pharaoh. The first time didn't go so well. Um, Instead of the Israelites being released, their work was made more brutal. Um, So I'm thinking that them going before Pharaoh again would not have felt helpful or hopeful, um, but probably discouraging. And in general, I'm thinking for this family to be in these circumstances, there wouldn't have been a lot of room for hope that the narrative was going to change, that the story that they are in was just magically going to be different. Um, And I think this is because, you know, they weren't removed spectators. They were in this story. When we're the ones living in pain, it's really vulnerable to hope that things are going to change, Um, whether it's relationship, family, career, our health. If things feel like an unraveled mess, um, to try to believe that God is good next to that can sting almost like salt in a wound. And I have to wonder if this is anything like what it would have felt like for this family. Um, The children of Israel living in Egypt, rather than experiencing what would seem like blessing and protection, they're under oppression and it's only getting worse. I just wonder how far removed God's promises must have felt and how impossible they would have seemed. And I I do want to be careful not to over-speculate or over-identify with what they would have been thinking or feeling. Um, Holding that intention at the same time, I think it's worth considering their experience and their perspective as they were in Egypt. Um, While we're in a very different time, in very different circumstances, I wonder at a gut level, you know, before words or details get involved, if any facet of this might feel familiar. Spaces where hope seems lost, um, where something feels unraveled beyond repair, and a hope for the story to change feels too painful to wait on. I'm also gonna ask, do I need to move, Matt? Okay. Um, For me, one of these spaces uh, is my health. Um, For most of my life, uh, my health hasn't really been quite normal. I've mostly looked normal, and I'm grateful for all the things I am able to do. Uh, But my life's included a lot of um, daily pain, along with wanting to live out all of the joy and passion that I have, um, which can collide and create a lot of friction for me. Uh, When I was younger, there just really weren't a lot of great resources for chronic health and chronic illness. And so I just got tossed between lots of different doctors, specialists, um, tests, medications, physical therapists, kind of all the people, and never found relief. Um, And in the midst of that kind of place, it was really hard to have hope that things would change. It's a painful place to hope 
you know, one more day, one more year, one more doctor's visit, that things were just going to turn around. Uh, but it was also a painful place to be in that story, a place where I felt stuck. And this is one kind of pain, one kind of hopelessness. Uh, working as a counselor, I sit with many people who are facing pain and loss that I could never imagine walking through myself. Um, I don't want to try to compare pain or act like we know what it was like for the Israelites in Egypt. Um, my heart instead is to see if we can connect with their story um, through the gut feelings or gut knowings of vulnerability, of hopelessness that we experience our own facets of today. Continuing in Exodus, uh, in chapter 7, we see the first plague in verse 15. God tells Moses, go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out to the water. Position yourself to meet him by the edge of the Nile and take in your hand the staff that was turned into a snake. Tell him the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, release my people that they may serve me in the wilderness. But until now, you have not listened. This is what the Lord has said. By this you will know that I am the Lord. I am going to strike the water of the Nile with the staff that is in my hand, and it will be turned to blood. Fish in the Nile will die, the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will be unable to drink water from the Nile. This here is the first of ten signs and wonders, what we often call the plagues. Um, Jewish tradition calls them the ten strikes. And the first nine that we're going to look at tonight are beautifully arranged into sets of three. We have this nice slide that shows some of the literary structure, and you can see that repetition of the structure that's found in each three in those sets. Um, the wonder of this passage has inspired artwork uh, for centuries, and there's a couple pieces that you can just slowly go through uh, just to kind of catch some of the wonder and awe of it. One by one, God instructs Moses and performs epic demonstrations of his power. Each sign and wonder is a painful blow to Egypt and to Pharaoh, and the chaos of each sign and wonder is effortlessly restored to order by the work of God's hand. The Nile, which was considered Egypt's life source, turns to blood. And this is also where, is, where Pharaoh ordered Israelite newborns. Frogs are in ovens and kneading bowls. Gnats cover people and animals. And up until this point, Pharaoh's magicians were replicating these signs and wonders. But at this point, they can't. And they say, this is a finger of God. Flies are swarming the ground and in homes. Egypt's livestock die. Boils cover the Egyptian skin. Hail strikes down every plant and tree in Egypt. Um, probably bigger hail than we had the last couple days. If any of you guys got hit with that. Uh, locusts swarm the land. And after this eighth plague, Pharaoh's servants declare that Egypt is ruined. Pharaoh has claimed himself a god over this land, and here he sees that the true god is over him. Throughout all these signs and wonders, God says a complete seven times that he will be known. He displays that he is over all of Egypt. He's over all of creation. Nothing is outside of his reach. 
no matter how much chaos is released in each plague, God can restore and repair the order of creation. Many theologians and scholars have seen this um, as intentionally depicting a reversal of God's created order. This is one of the many creative ways that Exodus echoes Genesis. In the beginning of Genesis, we see that God creates goodness and order out of chaos and darkness. And God's created order includes people, land, animals, and issues of justice for his created order. And as the narrative in Genesis continues, things quickly go sideways. And God's heart longs to restore things back to their original goodness. And this is the promise to the family in Israel um, that what we're seeing now is tied back to. Israel was first known as Jacob. He was the son of Isaac, son of Abraham. And God had promised to bless this family and that they would be a blessing to others. Their family promise included a beautiful and relational restoration, not just for them, but for all people. And this is the family story that would have seemed beyond repair under oppression in Egypt. And I can only imagine being there under oppression and then the plagues happening that they would not have seemed like an obvious sign that everything was gonna be all right. When wrestling with what I would say um, about the plagues um, on Mother's Day, no less, <laughs> um, I was really struck with this imagery. Uh, I had heard this back in my graduate studies, uh, but there's something about it that just struck me in a new way. There was something about the story not being too far gone, um, something about God's ability to bring back goodness and order, even after the fabric of creation had been pulled apart. It sparked a new hope in me and also made me aware of just how hopeless a part of my heart had been feeling. There was something about the extent of God's reach, that even in the chaos of the plagues, it didn't matter how much chaos there was, God could effortlessly restore things. Things weren't too far gone, even though they would have seemed completely ruined. And for me, this connected with a feeling of hopelessness that I felt in different seasons. Um, a story came to mind when I was meditating on this, uh, probably about 10 years ago. Um, I was working in campus ministry, and I was going to a doctor's appointment with a rheumatologist. I was trying to squeeze this in across town. It was a long day of campus. I was tired. I had been through many years of going to lots of different doctors, lots of different specialists, trying to have hope that this next appointment would be the answer. That whatever these issues were that were going on that other people around me didn't seem to have, someone would find an answer, a solution, and turn that story around. Uh, and that night, um, my eyes were open to a greater depth of things that other doctors hadn't been aware of. I started to really understand just how much uh, the root of things were actually autoimmune issues um, that were causing problems in my body. And this felt so discouraging. Uh, it put me in a place that felt very hopeless, very frustrated, and I remember getting back in the car and needing to rush back to campus and just going. And I felt very stuck, and then I literally got stuck. Uh, the president was in town and the interstate closed. <laughs> I didn't know that was gonna happen. So every car around me, including mine, came to a long stop. 
And so there I sat, stuck in my car, unable to run away from my pain, um, quite honestly crying inconsolably and just wondering what was the road ahead of me going to look like? Uh, I thought I had my whole life ahead of me. I was only 22. Um, I thought certainly this is not what Taylor Swift was singing about in her song 22. <laughs> um, and just with all these different thoughts and feelings rushing through my head, I felt like I was unraveling. It just felt like chaos, confusion. Um, and that was over a decade ago, but I can honestly still go back to that place. Uh, with chronic pain and chronic illness, there's really no break. There's not really an escape. So there's been enough bad days in a row or one more unexpected thing pops up and puts stress on my body, sends pain into a tailspin, I can go back to that hopeless place, um, forgetting who God is, forgetting his power, forgetting his ability. So as I sat with this narrative, there was something about God's power on display that gave me a glimmer of hope and peace that felt different, it felt new. To see the unraveling and repair of creation as something effortless for God, that regardless of the state of things, it wasn't too far gone. Uh, it tugged on a longing for me that had been hurting. And this longing was curious and refreshed by the story. Things were already um, in disarray in Egypt. And then on top of that, the fabric of creation's pulled apart and it still wasn't destroyed. It wasn't too far gone. God could still effortlessly bring goodness and order um, out of this place. And I really needed to be reminded of that, reminded that nothing's too far gone for God, no matter how unraveled or messy it is in the thick of it, that it's not the end of the story. I don't think this means that we're guaranteed physical health uh, or healing by any means. I do though think it means that there is hope for things to be made right in the end. And whatever size glimpses we get of that now, they're tastes of the fullness and promise of all things being made new and right one day. I'm curious if this imagery might tug on a longing for anyone else. I wonder what might be the things that feel unraveled beyond repair. Where might this very known story offer a new hope that nothing is too messy or unraveled for God. That the chaos we find ourselves in isn't the end of the story. Before we close, uh, we'll look at the strike of darkness. Exodus 10, verse 21. The Lord said to Moses, extend your hand toward heaven so that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. A darkness so thick it can be felt. So Moses extended his hand toward heaven, and there was absolute darkness throughout the land of Egypt for three days. No one could see another person. No one could rise from his place for three days. But the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. This image of complete darkness uh, takes us back to some of the first words in Genesis. Before God created, the earth was without form and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. 
God has stripped everything back for the Egyptians, and it's paralyzing. And verse 23 tells us that despite this deep darkness in Egypt, the Israelites had light where they lived. I think we could take this image of Israel in the light in a couple different ways. Uh, It could maybe feel like a cheery platitude of, yay, we're in the light. Uh, I think it can also paint a picture, though, of what it feels like when despite how much we long for the warmth or hope of light, the place we find ourselves in is paralyzed in the darkness of Egypt. And I wonder how this would have felt for the Israelites as creation is unraveling around them and they have light where they live, would that have felt hopeful? Would that have felt comforting? And if it did, what would it have then been like to still have time left in Egypt and then still have the wilderness in front of them, which we know is just one of many long roads for this family? I know for me, times that I felt stuck in darkness, uh, it can feel easier to stay there than to try to trust or hope for light. It's a path of least resistance. Um, can become too scary, too painful to ride the roller coaster of beautiful and broken twists and turns in our stories. My tired soul can just feel safer in darkness. If I stay there, at least I know what's coming next. At least I won't be disappointed again. At least I won't have to feel another crushing heartbreak when the light waxes and wanes again. Uh, Tish Harrison Warren has written a beautifully raw book called Prayer in the Night. I know some of you did a book study on her and many of you are familiar with her work. Uh, She reflects on our vulnerability in a world that includes a perplexing mixture of pain and loss with joy and goodness. In contrast with borrowing trouble or mourning pain before it happens, she speaks of hope as borrowing grace. She writes, A baffling part about walking with a God who does not keep bad things from happening is that it's clear that he makes good things happen also and often. God is maddeningly unpredictable and free. Each day of our lives holds relentless beauty, mercy, grace upon grace. We have to learn to trust God in order to receive even good things from him. And learning to receive good things from God is difficult especially if you've been hurt. It's hard to learn to trust goodness and beauty. It takes practice to face the reality of darkness, but also to ask for and hope for light. To risk joy requires hope. To hope is to borrow grace. It is not naive optimism. Hope admits the truth of our vulnerability. It does not trust God to keep all bad things from happening but it assumes that redemption, beauty, and goodness will be there for us, whatever lies ahead. Reflecting on this, I wonder, what are the storylines you find yourself in that would require borrowing grace to trust God for light, to trust him for good things? And what would it be like to borrow grace and Risk believing that darkness is not the end of the story, but instead redemption is. This picture of Israel 
in the light as Egypt is in darkness um, is where we're pausing for this week. And what's difficult is it's a really odd place to stop. It's not the end of the story. There's so much that could be said about the three days in darkness and how Jesus, our Passover lamb, spent three days in darkness deeper than we can imagine. Uh, But we're not there in the story yet. And I wonder if there might be something for us sitting in and sifting through the chaos and the darkness of the plagues before we continue on. While it might not feel like a comfortable place to sit, my hope and my prayer is that this remarkable picture of God entering into a hopeless narrative, effortlessly unraveling the fabric of creation and just seemingly restoring it, cultivates a hope that God can bring goodness and light even out of our deepest chaos and darkness. That deep darkness isn't the final word and that no amount of chaos is unraveled beyond God's reach. I absolutely think it does take borrowing grace to have hope when we're in a story of pain. Um, And I think that this also points us to who God is, uh, which ultimately is really the main point of the whole Exodus story. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word. I pray that you would continue to speak to us. I pray that you would shine light into the most weary parts of our hearts. And that you would ignite hope in us that can only come from your grace. Pray that you would pour out your grace and your mercy. That you would point us to you and allow our lives to point to who you are. Amen.